0: Welcome to Alter Everything, a podcast about data science and analytics culture. I'm Megan Dibble, and in today's episode, my Alteryx colleague, Albert Bellamy, shares about his professional experience and his tips for getting a job in the data industry. From networking, to changing career paths, to resume building, Albert has lots of insights for your analytics career journey. Let's get started. Hi, Albert. It's great to have you on our podcast today. Love for you to introduce yourself for our listeners.
1: Hey, Megan. It's great to be here. I was thinking the other day that Alter Everything is definitely on my bucket list of podcasts to participate in. Uh I was lucky enough to get on Artists of Data Science once with Harpreet Sahota, and I still have to be on Analytics Power Hour. So I think that's the last one that like my pantheon of great analyst podcasts. But yeah, it's great to be here. So I'm Albert Bellamy. I am still define myself as a recently retired Marine. It's been getting on two years now, but I was hired recently as a customer training instructor for Altrix, which is a fantastic thing. This was a target company for me. I did a lot of work with the system at my first job out of the Marine Corps as an analyst. And so really getting hired here was a dream come true. I live in Eastern North Carolina. I'm near Camp Lejeune. So if you watch TV or listen to the radio, you may have heard that at one point we had a bit of a drinking water problem here. The money grubbing lawyers are all out there trying to get people onto that lawsuit. The drinking water is quite fine now, I assure you. But this was in my Marine career. This was the last place that I served. And at the time that I retired, had three sons that were still in high school. And they put down roots here. And my wife and I put down roots here and we really love the area. So we, we settled here. One downside is it's not much of a tech hub. (laughs) We are three hours from Raleigh-Durham, which is probably the nearest center of tech jobs. So retiring from the Marine Corps and becoming an analyst was not super advantageous geographically, but I've had back-to-back remote jobs now. So maybe COVID did me a few favors in that area.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, we're glad to have you at Altrix, and thanks for your service. My pleasure. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you transitioned from the military into the field of analytics.
1: Absolutely. One of the big challenges for service members that get out, whether they're due a short four-year hitch or if they stay in for 20-plus like I did, one of the biggest issues is they get trained to do something that's not necessarily very saleable. In the private sector outside of the military. And it can be very difficult for them to figure out what it is they want to do with hmm. the rest of their life. I did not have that problem. I had a massive advantage because I just always wanted to be an analyst. I didn't always know what it was called. I like to half jokingly tell people that about three years ago, I was literally Googling what is data science to figure <laughs> out what exactly the field looked like, which is funny because at the time I was starting to wrap up a master's degree in analytics, but I had taken that with the intent to do that in the military. And then when that for structural and career path reasons became the wrong thing for me, I started having to figure out on the fly, what does this look like in the private sector? And so a lot of the things that I had done in the Marine Corps just gravitated towards or been assigned to do while they were never analyst by title. They, in hindsight, were analytics oriented. So the first thing that I did in the Marine Corps was the title of the job was maintenance management clerk, but it was a lot of data entry and understanding different codes and different language that would come off of these maintenance forms that we would use that would signal supply status of repair parts or where the truck or the howitzer was in the maintenance cycle. And so when you broke it down in hindsight, it was taking direction from a stakeholder and translating that direction into computer speak of some sort so that our computer system could create some efficiency and then taking those reports out that the average person could not read, the average Marine couldn't comprehend, and translating the computer speak from code back into layperson talk and then briefing it back to that stakeholder and saying, here are the efficiencies we can gain in planning the maintenance of our equipment. When you break it down like that, that's analytics. That's what an analyst or a data scientist does at a base level, or at least has one step in that chain.
0: Yeah, totally. I can relate to some degree to that in terms of I started out in industrial engineering and did internships. And mm-hmm. looking back at those internships, the times when I, I had some projects that I really loved and I was like... Oh, I just sat there and the hours flew by and I'm like, oh, that was when I was working with data. Like, maybe that would be a good career path. And I totally also had a moment where I Googled data science because I was like, what do I do next? And I was like, is data science a thing I should do? And I ended up doing like a online course for it and whatnot. Yeah, I love that your experience in the military, that different roles prepared you in different ways, kind of a unique path to getting into the field. Yeah. And I'd like to know like what your best advice is for people that are looking to change their career path and get into data.
1: I've actually done some thinking about this lately, mm-hmm. and I really want to write an article. The thing that I've come up with is the same thing that draws a lot of people to analytics is the thing that makes them terrible at managing their careers. And they're not always in an analytical mindset. They may just be mathematical people. And so when you think about what math is and why it's wonderful, math is a formulaic approach to getting the right answer. But then when you think about it, there's generally one approach, there's the right way to get the answer. And that right way will always give you success. So if your inputs are good, if your process is good. And if your execution is good, you will never meet failure. You practice it once you understand it. And if you do it a million times, you'll get the right answer a million times. Life is not like that because there's just too many variables involved. Career paths are not like that, Mm -hmm. but we get all these mathematical thinkers that want the formula. And so they want the magical success key. Tell me which platforms to study. What degrees and certs do I need? how many jobs do I apply for? What companies should I go for? But they want these steps in order that they can execute. And then at the end, it's a guarantee of success. And so I think the advice I would give is you need to be less mathematical and more analytical and just understand that there are so many variables out mm-hmm. there, that the best thing you can do is execute best practices and advisable things and just keep setting yourself up for success, but understand that even the best process and the best preparation can lean to failure. I know so many people that are just brilliant and highly skilled and they're doing all the right things and they just can't quite close the deal and get that job.
0: Yeah, that's so true that like, you want to have this formula for success and especially people who are aiming for the data jobs are like detail oriented, analytical, but there's this, yeah. there's another element, which is like the people element. Like you're working oh yeah, with people are interviewing you. You're a person. <laughs> there's a lot of variables yep. introduced there that can be changed. And that's
1: people will hit me up and say, what's the answer? Why am I not getting a job? And then I look at, you look at their LinkedIn profile, you look at their resume, it's like, You have spent all your time and energy on study, 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 get all your degrees, get all your certs. The technical skills aren't, you know, they're they're boilerplate, they're mandatory kind of minimum credential, Mm -hmm. but you've got to have more than that.
0: Yeah, and the networking piece is super, super critical and sometimes people's last box to check when it takes time and when... When it's not a simple activity, like studying for a test and passing it. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a Gantt chart. And that's when I have a talk that I give on how the networking and branding and portfolio and all these things interact. But the biggest thing is, yeah, you can start them one at a time, but networking doesn't start and finish after you get your degree. You have to be putting effort into all of those lines of execution throughout.
0: So it sounds like networking is definitely a tip for people who are looking to land their next data job. Do you have any other tips for people in that position?
1: So when you're talking about next job, people have this impression that getting the first job is some glorious rite of passage and that once you get your foot in the door is a huge barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to discount. Getting that first job that has analyst in the title is massive. And once you get that, it's far easier to get the next one, as I found out. But the thing is, you it's not the hurdle and then you quit doing all the things that got you there. And so once you get that first job, the key is all those lines of effort, they keep going. And so you're networking now. Not only do you need to keep networking, but now you're in a company. Now you can build a network of professional peers within that company. Mm. In many ways, that's even more valuable because now you can become an entrepreneur where you can create opportunities for yourself within the company. And when I got hired at my last job, one of the first things I did was just start meeting people, either doing coffee chats with them face-to-face through computer, of course, or connecting with them on LinkedIn and just making some sort of connection with as many people in the company as I could. And then that company was part of a larger conglomerate. So I started making connections throughout the organization those didn't necessarily bear tangible fruit for me in getting the next job. It was connections at ultrix that helped me with that because I started using the system, started really enjoying it, and mm-hmm. started making friends at Ultrix and the Aces and people that I met and Inspire. But you've got to keep doing the things that made you successful in getting that first job. So networking, you've got to keep your resume updated.
0: What are some of your tips for resume building, like what's the most important for people to include?
1: There's a few catchphrases that I've developed or borrowed slightly from other people. And the biggest one for me is focus on achievements, not activities. Mm -hmm. When you see a bad resume, generally what, as long as there's nothing structurally or there's heinous misspellings or grammar errors or anything like that, If it looks okay, if the format and the structure are adequate, when you get down to content, the mistake that people make is they talk about their daily grind. Mm -hmm. And if they haven't just cut and pasted their job description, which is a description of the daily grind for the most part, they've rewritten it or they focus on where their time and energy goes, which is the 80, 90% of tasks that are just daily stuff. So for me, getting ready for classes, teaching classes is daily grind stuff. It's awesome and I love it. And it's where most of my time and energy goes. But two years from now, and I'm looking for another job, I can't write up a job description saying I spent 8 million hours getting ready to teach the Foundations of Data Preparation class. I did. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of energy, but it's not impressive. You can't get another job with that. So the talking about daily grind, talking about the activities that you did and talking about just aggregate metrics. If I say I taught a thousand classes, that's not impressive. And aggregate metrics, while you do want some metrics, some impact, aggregate metrics are the lowest of the low that you just count up that thing you did Mm -hmm. a bunch of times successfully. What you have to ask yourself is how impressive is that? It took a lot of time and energy. I'm I have a lot of emotional investment in that. Yeah. But it won't get me a job. So why talk about it? And so you have to put yourself in the shoes of the reader. And many times there are things I did in the military that earned me medals that I almost laughed when I got the medal because it was like, that thing took me like two hours. <laughs> it wasn't even, it didn't even feel significant at the time, but it was something that was wildly important in the grand scheme of things. Yeah or briefed really well and got some general's attention somewhere. And so you have to think that way, that project that you did for a day that got the attention of your CEO or CFO, because it saved the company half a million dollars, even though it took you 20 minutes and all, it was an Alterix workflow that you, you put together in your spare time and then went to lunch and delivered it. But for some reason it delivered like gangbusters for the company. That's far more impressive than. I managed to answer 10,000 phone calls and reply to a bunch of emails. Yeah. It didn't take much time, but it briefs. And so that's what you have to focus on. Achievements.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned the example of like saving the company half million dollars because that was something that happened at like my internship at Tesla. It was basically, I had a bunch of projects that I was working really hard on and not making a ton of progress on, but one project where, it was a manufacturing line and we basically decided we can definitely do this with one less person. They were kind of already doing it if they were short staffed, but it's like we made yeah. that decision. And if you calculate that across all the lines, across 24 hours of operating, it's millions of dollars. And I was like, yep. and my mentor was like, you should put this on your resume, say you saved
1: absolutely like
0: millions. And I was like, did I really? Like there's that kind of imposter syndrome working there which we can talk about too but yeah i ended up putting it on there and i was like jumps right out at you and i can talk about it I, Absolutely. I did do something it didn't feel like the most effort i put in but it just happened to have the biggest result and also let's say you're a person who you don't have that million dollar impact story to put on yep. your resume what's your advice for how you can still present yourself even if you haven't had those opportunities?
1: I think the first thing is just best practices going forward. So you have to put yourself in a position where you can measure your impact at jobs. And I think that a way to set the tone for that is when you come in and you do your first counseling or direction with your supervisor, one of the things you need to lay out there is I need to understand the importance of my work. Mm -hmm. And so people get wrapped around the axle about it's super clunky when they've been at a job for a while and then they start asking around about, oh, what was the impact of this project I did six months ago and how much money did we make for the company by doing X initiative? And then it becomes quite apparent, okay, this person's (laughs) getting their golden parachute ready. They're building their resume to go get another job. So obviously you don't want to put yourself in that situation. But people do find themselves in a situation where they've been nose to the grindstone so long that they say, okay, I don't understand the business problem here. I don't understand what my impact was. Maybe I had an impact, maybe I didn't. It's important to set that tone when you first get to the company and say, I have the intellectual curiosity that I want to know how the business works. I want to know what the KPIs are. I need to understand my own importance. What impact do I have? Does my work section have on the company? How is our impact measured? I've been very lucky. This job and my previous job have both been places where we put together OKRs and we have cognizance of, you need to understand your impact on the KPIs, key performance indicators that the company has. Mm -hmm. And do you save money? Do you make money? What do you do? Obviously, it's a different problem set if you're at the point where you've been laid off or you're in a career pivot and you're looking back and you're saying, I have measured nothing. I can't reach back to any of these jobs and credibly say, Hey, can you tell me what my impact was on the bottom line? I would say in those cases, it's okay to talk about on your resume, talk about the projects that you did and describe them in a way that alludes to impact that can either lead to a potential if you can credibly estimate this project had the potential to save the company 10% on human resources or healthcare or improve efficiency of process X by 10%. I think that most people, if they put some thought into it, they can come up with that and they can brief that honestly, not saying I saved the company X dollars, but saying I was part of a project, I led a project, I did an initiative that had this potential, Yeah, but that I was not in the seat to be able to measure it. And it didn't occur to me at the time, but now I'm aware of it. That shows a level of both honesty and awareness that I think would be appealing to an employer. And then if that's all you've got, sometimes aggregate metrics are, it's better than having nothing but verbiage on the page. Mm-hmm. So if you can tally up, if there's a thing that you did that wasn't boilerplate, answer emails, make the coffee, turn on the lights in the morning, if it's something that is a part of your job description, it's something that you do very well, yeah, I could count the number of classes I teach for Alteryx, and that's better than just describing the environment in pure words.
0: We talked a lot about the dollar savings impact, but also if it's any sort of project where You're working on a process especially an analytics process where if you had the opportunity to see the before state and then you know what you worked on yeah you can get back to oh this is going to save them 10 hours a month or 30 minutes a week because maybe the manual work that they were doing before or the inefficiencies you saw where the process started so i know that was a big thing for me at my last job was the time couldn't always get to the money but the time is something that I was familiar with. But time with. is money. There you go. Time is money. Yeah. yeah. So it's another strategy you can use. For the next question, we talked a little bit about networking earlier, but I'm curious mm-hmm. what networking looks like for you now and if you have any stories of personal connections you've made or what that's looked like for you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, but I work for a podcast called How to Get an Analytics Job. Which- Solid. I think was an offshoot of that original Google search because I started getting into (laughs) podcasts and listening to them. And so that's one that is aptly named. It comes up when you search for such a thing. And through working that podcast, I met Abe Diaz, who was a fellow listener. And then when I started working on it, talking to him as a fan of the podcast, and he would always engage with our content. And then a guy named Matt Bratton, who I'm wearing the shirt of his company. Matt was a guest on the show a couple of times and he and I became friends and now the three of us have this long running group chat with each other and I've never met either of those guys in person, but Abe and I are in the veterans advocacy Tableau user group. Abe is now, partially because of me, is now core certified in Alteryx. Matt is absolutely a mentor to both Abe and I as we have our beginning couple of years in our data careers. We're talking about some ventures together, the three of us. And yeah, it's just a tremendous relationship with those two. I have so many connections that really have become actual friends, not just LinkedIn or podcast friends or through the internet kind of thing, but people that I would, I would say I measure it by, would I make a special trip to go meet this person in person and hang out? I absolutely would. Sadly, Abe is moving to Minnesota from Kansas City and Matt lives in Fresno, so (laughs) it's a little tough.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And super interesting just thinking about how things have changed with remote work and networking online. Like I remember in college thinking networking had to be like going to some event in my business casual, eat my appetizers, it'd be super awkward leave after an hour. I'm,
1: I'm breaking out in a sweat, <laughs> just as you described that. That sounds like my seventh circle. Yeah. Hell. Yeah, I would not, love have, not interested. Love
0: in. the virtual. <laughs> I love meeting yeah. friends virtually, but that's cool that those friendships have lasted. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. A lot of it's just about removing barriers. So there's just, there's only so much of a connection you can get with someone in chat and comments. Sure. And those sort of written media forms There's something to getting a voice-to-voice or a face-to-face, even through a computer, that is just, it removes a barrier and it gets an added layer of human connection. Yeah,
0: definitely. We've talked a little bit about LinkedIn. You're super active on there. There's content you produce. And I'm wondering, like, what keeps you motivated and excited to help others make the switch into data?
1: I'm a firstborn son, so I'm a born pleaser and I seek approval. (laughs) Not the answer you're expecting. Yeah, it really is just, I'm a bit of an introvert and I didn't have the easiest childhood and it's just, part of it's just a way to make friends. A lot of it is there's no playbook out there. Mm. I have a large degree of sympathy for people that are where I was three years ago, Googling what is data science, where you Mm -hmm. were, whenever you began your journey. It's just such, it feels like such a monolithic challenge. It makes me uncomfortable thinking of other people struggling to figure out how to get up that hill. There's only so much you can do, even if you get out there and write the definitive book of the path to data glory. If such a thing could even be done, how many people would read it? So you can't help everybody. I think it's just a degree of empathy for the problem that they're facing Mm -hmm. and knowing that it can be extremely difficult to find the right answers. There are answers everywhere. A lot of them are wrong. A lot of them are based entirely on someone's anecdotal experience. A lot of them are just profit-seeking. And so to be able to separate the quality and affordable answers that you can find out there is incredibly difficult. And I just sympathize with that. And I'd like to ease other people. As long as people are willing to do the work, I'd like to ease the information imbalance that's out there.
0: Yeah. And that's something that I like about our Sparked program here at Alteryx too, is that
1: absolutely they're
0: working to ease that career transition and provide like quality free resources for people that are changing careers. So I'll definitely include some resources for that in the show notes. But um,
1: that program also led by a marine, mm,
0: was, amazing. Just putting that yeah. out there.
1: We just had the veterans employee resource group meeting yesterday, and we laughed. Everybody laughed, Marines and non-Marines, because of the number of Marines that are in the room. <laughs> I don't Love know that. how that happened. I don't think it was by design. Maybe we just gravitate towards awesome
0: companies. Yeah, right? analytics for Marines. <laughs> Yeah, so we'd love to just finish off on what you enjoy about your role at tricks now, what you're doing and what you like about it.
1: I've had to learn to love this thing that I'm about to say, because it, ironically, it was what I didn't like about my previous job. And that is that there's never enough time and you're never quite ready. And I think that relates back to the imposter syndrome thing is I have to teach classes where I am not supremely confident in my own ability to execute the thing that I'm teaching or to teach the class. I have to be 60, 75, 80% confident, which makes me wildly uncomfortable teaching a class. And the fact is that even being 60% savvy on the material to where I don't have it on complete lockdown, you're still light years ahead of pretty much anybody that's in the class taking it. I've had to learn to love that because working in marketing analytics, I hated that there was never enough time to become an Mm. expert. Everything was just get it done well enough, move on to the next job. And I would actually get myself in trouble because I would try and do something to perfection. And they would say, why have you been working so long on this? Just get it done, get it out the door and go. And so I've had to become comfortable with that because task that's before us to teach just so many things that have become an expert in the intelligence suite tools. I'd never used them before I got hired at Alteryx. And so the task to teach this thing that you're not necessarily 100% confident. If you tell me to teach data preparation palette. Okay, cool. I can do that in my sleep. You tell me to teach the R predictive tools. Okay. I've got to, I've got to get ready for this. And there's not enough time to get ready to where I'm the world's duty expert on it. You know, your imposter syndrome is gone and I can answer all of the questions and I am the all seeing eye. It's I've got to get good enough that I can teach this, answer questions, know what I don't know, have a healthy respect for that and not try and be something I'm not to the students. Yeah. And so that's what I've really learned to love. I love relating to the students. I love teaching the classes. Teaching is just a ton of fun. But really, it's the thing that I've had to get comfortable being uncomfortable. and be able to execute with a pretty good 75% plan. Definitely. I think that's the thing.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. It's been great to talk to you today, Albert. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening. Links to resources mentioned like the Sparked program are available in our show notes on community.altrix.com podcast. Catch you next time.